I'm Glenn Brooks. I'm Glenn Brooks. Welcome to our extended network, Beyond the Formula. Beyond the Formula is dedicated to my son, Michael Brooks, who tragically passed away uh, July 20th. And I deeply, deeply want to love and thank my daughter, Alicia Brooks, for really just being such a contribution in her love and her practical actions have meant the world to me and still do always. I love you, Alicia, deeply. I love you, Michael. Uh, this is the second conversation I've had with Dr. Eben Alexander. Dr. Eben Alexander, he's the author of Proof of Heaven, Proof of Heaven, uh, neurosurgeon for many years at Brigham, Brigham Young Hospital in, in Boston. And due to a very miraculous talk we had, we're doing a series that, which will accumulate into a summit in October. And in a moment, we'll have Dr. Evan Alexander with us. I want to welcome you, Dr. Evan Alexander. I want to welcome you again. I'm Glenn Brooks for Beyond the Formula. Ah, it's, so well, good. Good. it's so good catching up with you, by the way. Well, good. Well, Glenn, thanks so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I wanted to share with the audience, um, and I want to honor and let Michael know how much I love him. Michael Brooks came in my life in 1983, uh, August 13th. He was a home birth. He was born in Bethesda, Maryland. We set the room up like a birthday party. And uh, Michael came in, and Michael opened my eyes and made me – he just contributed things to me on so many levels. And I, as I reflect on this, Evan, I – I realized so much of my life was Mike, Michael was a kind of presence that was so much deeper and wondrous. And when Michael transitioned on uh, July 20th, it just it rocked my world. And I was just saying to you before we got on the air, I felt I was living between devastation, celebrating, and now would be in a different relationship with Michael. And as I, as I say this, I want to thank Dr. Norm Shearley. I want to thank the people at Gerard's house. I want to thank all the people that really have been such a source of, of love and caring and practical actions for allowing this network to expand. And I want to say that our first conversation, I was so excited. I, I reached out to you, my friend Matt, who's on my team. At, at, actually, he actually works for the Jones Library. He's an absolute contributor and sweetheart. And you responded back within three days. We had our meeting. And the day we had our meeting, I didn't feel good at all. I was actually in the bathtub talking to you, and you said the things that were magic to me. You said that you conveyed to me that Michael set up the meeting, that this was a meeting that you felt that was set up. And I felt my spirit coming in, back into my body, and I felt I could potentially handle this because one of the things that happened was in the first days to weeks to months, I, I would lay on the earth a lot. I would lay, I would go to the, a place called the Amherst Common, and I would lay down and I knew, my, I knew that I was in a transitionary point of seeing life and feeling people. And clearly, when you came on the program with Dr. Norm Shilley, you shared your experience of passing away in a way that you said was beyond your scientific mind. I could feel the harmony and wonder and rhythm of that story into my cells. I actually, when you shared, it opened me up. And I'm so honored to do this series and to have you come in my life. And I want to tell you, I feel a lot of love and support from you. And I'm just delighted you're here today to explore this. And I've been, I've been, every day when I begin my day, Evan, I open my heart, my physical heart, my emotional heart, and spiritual heart, and I put Michael's heart in my heart, and I begin. And I feel he's happy to meet you, and I know he, he appreciates, Michael appreciates your professional background. Michael likes, he likes an evolving science, and he likes an evolving spirituality. So I want to welcome, I want to welcome Michael into our conversation and tell you from my full heart and being, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, that, that is beautiful for you to share, and, and I also must say I admire the way that you're publicly sharing your own awakening to this, to the reality of Michael's presence in your life, even after his uh, transition from the physical world, because, uh, you know, I hear these kind of stories all the time, so I know the reality of the connectedness of souls beyond the death of of the body of a loved one, and I think it's an important lesson for humanity to get this. I would like to uh, certainly congratulate you on your, your courage and your open-mindedness and your willingness to uh, share this with the world, because I think Michael is organizing this. In many ways, we get a lot of help from loved ones on the other side, and we just have to kind of uh, quiet our minds enough to open up to the reality of that ongoing connection. 
So uh, congratulations to you for uh, doing what I feel is an important step in helping to wake up this world by sharing your journey and uh, Michael's ongoing role in your understanding. Thank you, Evan. I I guess I want to ask you, thank you, thank you. I'm feeling it in my soul soul and body. I, uh, I guess what I find, and I'd love you to comment about this, I, what I find is that I go through different places, and I, I find even sharing with some people about Michael, I find for them it's either shocking or they don't know what to say, or sometimes what I do is I, I want to give them a pass. I don't want them to feel like strained about it or they got to say anything or be any which way. And so I'm still pausing and finding this new form with Michael, this beautiful welcoming Michael's presence and, and making this, this bridge back and forth. And I feel that you have made this bridge, and I feel a safety and a wonder of how you made the bridge. And I wanted to see if you could comment for parents and other people listening who are kind of doing what I'm doing or, express, or exploring what I'm exploring, which is, sort of, which is sort of how to make this bridge between which seems like an unbearable loss to a new gift, a new opening, a celebration. And I'm wondering if you could share anything that you could think would be helpful so that people could find a new anchor and deal with, I guess, uncertainty or, or bewilderment beyond just the mind trying to figure it out? Well, I think an important thing for people to understand, you know, for much of my life, uh, I thought that this whole discussion and debate was between, you know, uh, kind of modern scientific uh, informed thought and uh, kind of... Uh, the other camp being one of uh, less scientific, uh, more spiritual, what I would have labeled woo-woo thought before my coma. Uh, and yet I've come to realize that it's a very different uh, kind of landscape of understanding. And given the fact that, that most people in our society, or I'd say many people, uh, take their lead from kind of uh, you know the thought leaders of science and philosophy that kind of yeah. give us the greatest picture of how... Uh, the modern intellectual mind can look at the current world, what we realize is that that old uh, kind of materialist, you know, brain creates consciousness, uh, our existence is birth to death, nothing more, uh, that is going the way of the, of the dodo bird. It's going extinct because the scientific reality in studying uh, these human experiences it suggests the reality of the afterlife and it, even of reincarnation are very strong and powerful, and in many ways, uh, they lead us out of the dark ages, that bleak and paltry fiction of materialist science uh, that, in many ways, in the scientific community was uh, disbanded 80 years ago. I mean, the problem is you still have many scientists who are basically Newtonian determinists. Uh, they, uh, they have no idea what the implications of quantum physics are, especially around the mind-body question and the uh, nature of reality. And once this whole society starts to realize that the leading edges of science actually fully support uh, this notion of God, of an infinitely loving God that's been reported by near-death experiencers going back thousands of years, um, and that we are connected very deeply with that force of love, um, and this is something that's borne out in healing and placebo studies and extraordinary healing uh, in near-death experiences, for example, in my case, in Mary C. Neal's case, you know, a warm water drowning over 30 minutes yeah. in a kayaking accident, and yet she yeah. made a full recovery because she had an NDE. Uh, and uh, Anita Borjani, who wrote the book Dying to Be Me, she had a profound mm-hmm. NDE that allowed her to come back to this world and the the advanced lymphoma that was trying to kill her just evaporated from her body. You know, these are examples of, you know, what the religious community has kind of promised us for thousands of years in the form of healing and power of prayer, and it's being proven by the modern scientific study of our own health and healing and kind of the events of our lives. So it really is time for this world to wake up to this uh, deeper, richer uh, synthesis of science and spirituality and realize that, yes, uh, the proof is very strong that uh, our souls uh, outlast the death of the body, that our relationships with others manifest uh, through 
repeat incarnations all in a, in a progression and a kind of a grace of, of growing into oneness with the divine. This is a very profound union of science and spirituality that resonates with many people. And that's what we're talking about when it comes to uh, survival of, of the soul of a, of a child, for example, or of any loved one. Uh, and it, the scientific support is there for the reality of humans' perceptions of that ongoing connection. Uh, and so we really just need to open wide the, uh, the discussion about the nature of human existence. The reality is specifically the, the brain-mind connection and our kind of interpretation of all the data that tells us uh, who we truly are and what our relationship with the universe is. And that's why I think all of this is so exciting. And the fact that, that it can also bring comfort to people in bereavement uh, is, you know, great, wonderful. Why shy away from it just because the truth is actually liberating and sets us free? So I think uh, there are some deep lessons, and, and I, again, I admire what you're doing in sharing your own journey here of, of uh, investigating and cultivating and nourishing your relationship with a child who has left the physical plane. That's a very important uh, kind of lesson to demonstrate to the world. So congratulations on, on your doing that. I feel so blessed meeting you, Evan. I feel this is, gonna, this is an ongoing, like a sacred meeting. Elizabeth has been so wonderful, your lady who assists you. Um, I, guess, I guess what I'm noticing is I'm having these experiences. Like one of the things I could share with people is Michael's hug. At the end of the day, I realize, and I said this at the, the memorial, no matter what was going on with us, because Michael was very, very strong with me. He had, he had a tremendous, he was a tremendous inquirer, and his own life was evolving, you know, globally. A lot of people were recognizing him for his, his show, the Michael Brooks Show, and his, his meetings with President Lula of Brazil. But the thing that always stuck me at this deeper level was this quality of hug he would give me. And I guess what I want to ask you about as I resonate on Michael Brooks's beautiful hug, and I can feel him with us. I guess is, um, I guess what I'm curious about from your perspective, things like regret, feeling like you could have done things better. Like for me, I kind of felt on some level that I wish I intervened sooner, that like somehow this is preventable. I guess you can call this, depending on the tradition, you can call this mind chatter, you can call it worry. Because uh, I kind of felt I had this relationship with Michael from the beginning, from the very, very beginning, I was telling my daughter the story yesterday. This woman in Washington, D.C., a reverend, came over to my house one day, and she did a, I guess it wasn't a past life regression. She did a, a, a session where I saw Michael as a baby when Donna, my wife, was, was several months pregnant. I saw him in a little sailor's hat. And mm -hmm. then my first coaching client came to see me, Richard Wampeldorf, and he brought a bag of clothing to contribute to Michael when he came into his body and uh, the, the, the hat that he brought to give to us as clothing for Michael when he was born was the hat that I saw in this imagery that I had like it wasn't a past life but it was a it was a consciousness exploration of imagery and seeing my son and I realized I always had that with Michael and the hug amplified that and when Michael was I don't know at a certain point in his life I, remember I massaged his head and his feet and I remember one day he looked at me and he said, Dad, don't stop. Keep massaging me. And I felt like we had this other language, a language of the soul. And I, I guess what I want to ask you about is, what have you discovered from making this transition about the part of our mind that I guess is, if it's not addicted to guilt and worry or feeling we didn't do it right, because I do feel like, God, if I brought him to, I call Norm Shilly Uncle Norm. Maybe if I brought him to Uncle Norm, we didn't have to go through any of this. Maybe he wouldn't have had to have these blood clots, for instance. And I want to ask you, what wisdom would you share for people like me that are going through something where you feel, you feel bad it happened, it could have been prevented, which I know is a linear thing. How do you hold it in a spiritual or useful context when someone passes away where you felt you could have done something or you felt like, wow, you know, I guess when I'm playing with those two, at the beginning of the conversation with you, the world of sensing devastation and the world of sensing celebration and regeneration. I'm, cu I'm curious to get your, your practices. Cause I, I can feel your calmness. And when you first shared about your experience of passing away and coming in again, or re 
going past this linear mind, it was so beautiful to me. It was just, I sat back in my chair and I just, I breathed it into my cells. I sensed the wonder of it. And I just wanted to could speak to that, the people who have regrets or concerns or worries or, you know, this feeling of dread about this happening that seems to be an interruption. How do we take that and transmute it and make it something that's a blessing and, and a connecting? Well, I think with any such kind of interaction, the place to begin is in bathing in the kind of emotional reality of your connection with that loved one. So just to start by reflecting on the beautiful gifts that Michael has brought to your life and, of course, the gifts that you brought to his life, the kind of mutual growth that uh, of, you know, your father-son relationship allowed for both of you to enjoy. And just start from that point and realize that at every moment uh, when we're living these lives, uh, each and every one of us is doing our best to try and, you know, relate to others and, and, you know, do everything we can based on our understanding of that relationship in the moment. And it doesn't do any good to beat ourselves up later on for what we can perceive, you know, looking back retrospectively as a shortcoming, because it was never, you know, an intentional shortcoming in any way. And of course, we always gain more information moving forward. And so there are ways that we can come to say, oh, I wish I'd done that better or or behave differently in this circumstance. But uh, I don't believe it serves us any good whatsoever to just beat ourselves up over that as much as to ask forgiveness. This is one of the reasons why realizing that when a loved one has left their physical body and is no longer available to us in the material realm, that they are still there as a soul and our relationship with them continues uh, deep within this kind of mental and emotional space that we can explore in prayer and meditation. So it's, uh, it's always best to kind of keep that in mind, the fact that we've, we're always doing our best uh, to uphold our kind of values and intentions in life, given the information we have at the time. And it really doesn't do good to beat ourselves up about that fact in the future. And always focus not so much on the kind of cognitive and intellectual complaints about what we might have done in the past, but really try and uh, live through feeling the emotions and the connection and feel your ongoing connection uh, with Michael, even after he's left the physical world, in such a way that you can continue to grow. Uh, all of this process of existence <clears throat> is one of of growth, of mutual learning and teaching with our fellow souls. And that's why I came to realize after my coma, for example, yes. that even yes. some who I might have seen as my enemy or my nemesis before my coma, mm. in many ways mm. were near and dear soul mates. It's just that we're trying to teach each other especially challenging and difficult lessons. And that's why we might feel that we don't necessarily like them in our life. And, of course, this discussion then gets deeply into kind of shadow sides and how uh, we're one with the universe in so many ways. But to truly appreciate that, we have to see all the different kind of facets of our existence and relationship with the universe as providing opportunities for growth. So that's the good and the bad. Uh, And this is why it's so important to always just keep in our mind that this is about growth and learning and understanding. And you can always be hopeful and positive about where that's headed when you have love in your heart, realize that our connection with other people is ongoing even after they've left the physical plane, and that we can make amends and set things right moving forward. Uh, knowing that our souls have a much bigger journey uh, and continue to interact in these ways uh, far beyond the death of any physical body. So I think those are the deepest lessons I've learned that kind of helped me to uh, color this in the the proper fashion. I'm Glenn Brooks. You're listening to Beyond the Formula, which is also an upcoming summit. And if you're a speaker or you're interested in the conference, you can be in touch. I'll give you contact. We're talking to Evan Alexander, who's so significant in my life, the author of the best-selling book, uh, Proof of Heaven. A number of people mentioned the book to me and shared that it was significant for, to them with uh, the, transi- the transition of, and the, I guess, the shifting reality between 
the experience of the person in the physical, I guess it's been a, a significant contribution. The first person to tell me about it was a psychiatrist, a very good friend of mine, Dr. Bill Pettit, who I love and appreciate, who has always been a tremendous support. All right, two things you said that really, oh, by the way, I want to acknowledge the award. I have a new Michael Brooks Award. It's called the Own, Own the Stage Award, the Own the Stage Award, Own the Stage with Integrity, Vision, Wonder. Michael was a tremendous, tremendous speaker and debater and incredibly funny. Matter of fact, he made fun of me all the time. He was very insightful about Glenn, very insightful. Well, that's great. Humor is one of the greatest <laughs> clues to our divinity. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for saying that. It, it's so true in our family. My, my daughter, Alicia, you know, uh, they, my, both my children are comedians, and I... And even they make fun of me. I think it's funny, actually. They find it very funny. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I share uh, a similar relationship things. with my two yes. sons. They, uh, I think really? they, uh, yes, they, they, um, they kind of enjoy my presence in their lives, if for nothing else. And, you know, Dad can make them laugh. And that's something I've always enjoyed. And, of course, they show great <laughs> senses of humor as young lads, and they continue that yes. to this day. And to me, it's a real yeah. treasure. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you shared that. That's uh, now Michael. Uh, he did many, many. Imp- my, my, Michael was a master of in, in impersonation, and I know people from around the world loved his. Whether it was Nelson Mandela or was a right wing talk show host, or his impressions of the Clintons, whatever he did, people would be crying and and his kindness. So I love that you said about your your sons because I, I, I enjoyed that crazy humor. I thought, oh my God, that's funny. The routine you just did about me is funny. I don't feel put down. I feel like it's really funny. So yeah. my daughter's continued in this tradition, Lisa. She certainly enjoys pointing out to me some of the, the funny dad stuff. So you said, you said two things, Evan, that were significant. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you're part of the family, by the way. So you said two things that struck me deeply. One was, you talked about this woman, I don't know her, who had lymphoma, advanced cancer, and was probably told by professionals she'd pass away most likely. And then you mentioned uh, the other thing which caught my mind deeply, because I'm kind of dealing with this with a few people who I feel like love and forgiveness is going to unfold, but it seems like in time they can't stand me. (laughs) It seems like in time they still have this grievance. So I want to ask you, okay, I want you to to address the, the radical healing that removes the inevitable feeling of death and contraction, which often... As uh, uh, Dr. Nick Gonzalez uh, went, left Sloan Kettering and started his own practice, and one of the things he said to me was that most people die from the diagnostic of cancer, but that, that shuts them down. So I want to ask you to address first the, uh, the, the radical healing of, or the, the spontaneous healing that occurs through a shift of perception or different mindset or soul set, and then I'd love you to take that to the other thing you said, which was that in this lifetime, some of the people we perceive to be enemies, great annoyances, royal pains in the asses, people we just can't dang stand, those people could be saints and luminaries and actually be in our lives in a way to, to lead us to greater love. I'd love you to make the connection and share about that in your own experience. I would love that. And I want to thank everybody You're listening to us on, on uh, prn.fm, prn.fm, and the Expanding Vibrant Living Network. And now, Beyond the Formula, I'm Glenn Brooks along with Eben. Alexander, I'd love to get your your so your insights how you bring this into your life because that's real. Those two things got to be the hugest topics in life: the people that we have grievances with, the people we can't stand, the people we feel have gotten on our way, and how to deal with that in a practical way. So living forgiveness becomes our new identity and reality, and then dealing with labels of illness that seem that like it's going to take our our life away permanently. Well, I think I'd like to start with the kind of illness and our power to heal. Uh, important to remind people that the gold standard in medical science for the last six decades in uh, you know, assessing any new proposed treatment or modality, medication, what have you, is the randomized uh, double-blinded placebo-controlled trial. The placebo-controlled arm is the very interesting and fascinating part of this because basically um, – you know, our thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs play a tremendous role in our healing. And this is something medical scientists have acknowledged for many decades. It's a beautiful admission by scientists that mind has power over matter. 
And so placebo effect is a very powerful effect. And ask big pharma if it's real, and they'll just, uh, you know, for them it's misery because right out of the gate they have <laughs> yeah. to basically overcome about a 30% benefit that's known yeah. to accrue generally just from someone's belief that they're doing something, taking a pill or going through mm -hmm. a procedure that could make them better. Uh, you know, in placebo effect, when you extend your conversation, you can, uh, for example, go to noetic.org, the Institute of Noetic Sciences website, put in the search term spontaneous remission, and you will uncover a book. And you can download the entire book for free and yeah. legally from their website because they wrote it okay. in the mid-1990s. And that book has more than 3,500 cases of uh, people having spontaneous remissions of cancer, of severe infections, uh, of many other maladies that occurred beyond any effect of Western medical intervention. Um, and in fact, I recently have learned in communication with the Institute of Noetic Sciences that they're upgrading this database because it's uh, 25 years old and what they're doing is adding in the new data uh, you know, from 25 more years, which will greatly expand those 3,500 cases. But they're extraordinary. And when you go to that database, you start realizing, you, you'll actually wonder if any of the healing that we're witnessing is due to the medication because there's such a powerful effect of mind over matter in healing. And, of course, this reaches extremes when you get to profound near-death experiences. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, it's like placebo effect on steroids. I mean, you just get this extraordinary <laughs> amount of healing that often manifests in people who have a profound near-death experience. Um, and, uh, you know, my example is one. There's a case report about my medical records in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases in September 2018 by Dr. Yeah. Serbi Khanna um, and Bruce Grayson and Lauren Moore. And uh, that case report, you know, will absolutely convince any physician interested in my case of the miraculous nature of it, the miraculous healing that occurred. There really has no other explanation. Interesting kind of backstory to that case report yes. is that uh, the peer reviewers, the doctors reviewing that for publication, challenged the three physicians who wrote the report, and they were yes. not involved in my care, but they were fascinated in the extraordinary uh, level of recovery. Mm -hmm. And the peer reviewer said, how do you explain this case? It doesn't line up. That was the same kind of haunting realization I came to yeah. reviewing my medical records in the months after right. my coma was, wait mm -hmm. a minute, these are the medical records of someone who would go on to die, not anyone who has a chance of recovery. So how do you explain it? And the way that, uh, that the three physicians who wrote the case report explained it to the peer reviewers that got it accepted in a scientific publication was they said because he had the NDE, that's why he had this profound recovery. And that was plenty good for the scientific peer reviewers to say, okay, we'll accept it for publication. And so that's an important point. There are other NDEs out there that this team of physicians knew about, like Mary C. Neal, as I mentioned, the mm -hmm. yeah. uh, warm water uh, drowning uh, in a kayaking accident in Chile. She wrote a book called To Heaven and Back. She had a profound NDE, and that's what allowed her to recover, even though she was dead after more than 30 minutes underwater in a warm water drowning. And she came back to full practice in uh, orthopedic surgery and also to sharing her story around the world like I do. And also the other case that I mentioned minutes ago, Anita Morjani, mm -hmm. who wrote the yes. book Dying to Be Me, she's the one yes. who had an advanced stage 4 lymphoma, was taken into an emergency room. I think it was February of 2002 when that happened. It could have been 2006. But anyway, she was 85 pounds, deep in coma. By any doctor's assessment, she was within hours of certain death and yet she had a profound near-death experience, and that's what allowed her to come back. The reason this is important is, you know, for thousands of years, we've had people from a religious basis trying to tell us what happens after we die, yes. and also how to perform miraculous healing. Yes. And what we find is these are all capabilities that are right there for all of us today 
if you pay attention to this emerging science of consciousness and a deeper understanding of this literature about NDEs and other spiritually transformative experiences, you end up finding a tremendous power that we have to influence our lives favorably. So pay attention to all of that. That would be my main message. Okay. okay. You're listening to Beyond the Formula on the Vibrant Living Network. I'm Glenn Brooks. I'm Glenn Brooks. In honor of my son, Michael Brooks, we're also putting a summit together. And you guys could subscribe. We're making a lot of this stuff available as a way of life, as a way of experiencing this other practical <laughs> dimension where celebrating and devastation and practices, new practices that take us, take us beyond our, our linear mind, our mind that only relies on thinking, into this other place called consciousness where there's something that allows us to see beyond the linear, go beyond that to another state of feeling. And I want to acknowledge... Also, uh, Dr. Rosen for his beautiful work and our uh, coming together to do vibrant uh, seeing. Um, I'm going to give you a website in a second for Dr. Evan Alexander. And I, I'm going to give you some contact at the end. I'm just very, very moved sitting here. I kind of feel I've been waiting. I don't know if you guys felt this, but I felt that when I, when I met Evan, it kind of validated in my heart so deeply. And it kind of happened beyond time. I... I, was, I contacted Evan, I think, on a, on a Tuesday. I heard back by Thursday. And the first time I heard him say that Michael kind of validated I kind of felt two things. I felt that Michael would so much appreciate that you were a scientist, that you were someone who really had a very – your intellect was alive, that you were inquiring, that you were, you, know, you were there as a scientist, and you evolved. Because that was what was happening to Michael. Michael was opening up to this other level. And I just want to keep sharing my presence with Michael as my forthcoming book, and I want to thank you guys. You could be in touch with me, and I'll get Evan, why don't you go ahead first? Go ahead and give people how they could be in touch with you, what you want them to pay attention to, and I'm, I'm just on it so deeply. We're going to be doing this ongoingly and that you're a member of this, my team, and we're a member of God's team together. Thank you. Well, certainly people can keep in touch with me and learn much more about my kind of story and presentations and uh, recommended reading list and blog page and all of that uh, at eben, E-B-E-N, alexander.com. So just go to ebenalexander.com. You can learn uh, a lot more there. Um, and then also I would highly recommend uh, to people who want to learn more about our most recent teachings as uh, you can always uh, get uh, the various books. They're available on the website. But Living in a Mindful Universe is the most recent one, co-written with my life partner, uh, Karen Newell. And I think living in a mindful universe is a very powerful attempt to unite science and spirituality in the modern era. And it certainly has received accolades from many scientists who are involved in consciousness studies. So you can see all those uh, uh, kind of recommendations and all at evanalexander.com. But to learn more about the meditation, because we are huge proponents of uh, uh, differential frequency brainwave uh, entrainment audio technology, a very powerful way of, for me, engendering centering prayer and getting deep within uh, the one mind, the, the God force of the universe, is through that kind of meditation. And you learn a lot more about that at sacredacoustics.com. That's Karen Newell's website. She has a lot of free training videos, a lot of great information there. There's a fantastic app. It works on iPhone and Android devices. It's available for accessing the tones, uh, but sacredacoustics.com is an excellent resource. For those who want to just be uh, aligned with our work on a regular basis, <clears throat> every two weeks on Thursdays at 4 p.m., Karen and I do a, a webinar. You can access that. It's totally free. Go to unitedinhopeandhealing.com. And uh, you can sign up there uh, both for, uh, you know, the, the free biweekly webinars. There are also other programs we offer. There's a regular monthly uh, membership program where we uh, discuss things with our, uh, with our fans. And then also uh, there is um, a, a mental health practitioner training course, nine hours of video, available for anyone involved in mental health uh, 
in the current era, and that's also available in that unitedinhopeandhealing.com uh, website. So there are many ways of engagement there, uh, ways to kind of follow our work and keep up with what we're doing. And uh, we do a lot of interviews and presentations, and those are available mainly at evanalexander.com and also uh, sacredacoustics.com. So uh, those are the really the best ways people can keep up with the work that we do. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm Glenn Brooks, listening to the Beyond the Formula, which is dedicated to my son, Michael Brooks, his wonderful inspiration, his, I guess you could say this is all about presence with Michael and sharing it with you guys and bringing more presence, that wonderful quality that uh, goes beyond time and, it, and it's, it's different than maybe what we got in school. It's a whole different uh, thing. And, I got a summit coming up in April, or in, I'm sorry, in October with Evan. I'll be giving out my contact uh, if you want to be part of the network. I'm, I'm opening up a larger network. I'm so happy that Evan's a part of it. Let me, okay, last time you were on, Evan, you shared from this place that you experienced, this heavenly place. You shared it in a way that I could feel it was, it was, it was different than just your speaking voice. I was wondering if, if that's something that you would want to share today. Would you want to share this other thing? Is it a place that kind of awoken you? So you had this radical healing that was beyond, I guess, <laughs> the local mind really was in the infinite mind. And also the scientists said, in fact, that, that where you were going was a, was a death, a, that, a physical death. Do you feel like that place has lingered and cultivated in you, the place that allowed you to experience the infinite the divine God that opened up in your life, is that place alive in you now as a reference place? So that's one of the things I'm feeling in, as I feel my presence with, or as I feel Michael's presence in my life. I'm interested in cultivating that, whereas the, the linear world wants to kind of get on with things, put them behind us, endings. How is that well, lingered for you? Well, this is where meditation is absolutely essential. I mean, I would have made no progress since my near-death experience if I hadn't gotten into a daily practice of meditation. I use sacred acoustics for meditation an hour or two a day. I've been doing that for more than a decade now. Uh, and that it's uh, allowed me to cultivate a very rich uh, set of interrelationships with uh, all that I first encountered in my NDE. And what I've learned through my work with Karen uh, Newell, Sacred Acoustics, the workshops we give around the world, and also yeah. her uh, client database around the world who use mm -hmm. these uh, differential frequency brainwave entrainment tones for deep meditative uh, exploration, is that you don't have to have an NDE to get this. We're all conscious beings. If we start exploring within consciousness, we start defining much more richly our relationship with this kind of this primordial mind, this uh, kind of God force of healing, of uh, the binding force of love, all of that, we start developing a, a rich relationship with it. And that's where our lives can change dramatically. And that's really what I, I recommend for people is start taking that time out. Uh, we explain in our book and in many presentations why differential yes. frequency audio files have such power. Um, in fact, in, in his book, Dark Night, Early Dawn, Christopher Bache, B-A-C-H-E, favorably yes. compares binaural beat brainwave entrainment with his use of uh, high-dose LSD for deep spiritual work. And he says you can make as much progress with these uh, sounds as you can with the, the psychedelic plant medicine. So why not uh, just take the more straightforward route of doing it through meditation? And that's what I've done because uh, I think work with the psychedelics has been very interesting, especially recently, scientific studies yes. using, for example, psilocybin to treat um, a morbid fear of death in cancer patients, to treat severe addictions like nicotine addiction, opioid addiction. Um, and it turns out that the, the therapeutic modality for using, say, psilocybin to treat those um, illnesses is one or two doses in the proper therapeutic setting. It's not like you have to take that medicine in an ongoing basis. And the reason right. is it's only serving as a catalyst to kind of thin the veil and open your kind of connection with your higher soul, your primordial 
uh, kind of connected part with the universe, and that's the part that has such tremendous power to heal. So in other words, I would say you don't even need that psychedelic substance when you understand that your power of mind, as you leave the ego behind, because the ego is not going to get you anywhere in this discussion. In fact, the ego stands in your way. But your deeper aspect of conscious awareness, which you can explore and, and develop in deep meditation, uh, the same kind of higher soul that we all encounter when we leave our physical body at the time of death and reunite with souls or departed loved ones, etc., um, that connection is what allows for such profound healing in that setting of the psychedelic mushrooms. But my point is you don't need that substance to serve as the catalyst to kind of break through the veil. You can do that intentionally and cultivate it uh, with meditation. And that's exactly what Karen and I talk about all the time, putting that little ego voice into time out, but then identifying much more with that awareness within you. That's the magic of your consciousness is your awareness. Uh, and that little ego voice is nothing more than a parlor trick. And I love how Michael Singer in his book, The Untethered Soul, he calls that running stream of thoughts in our head. You know, and many of us identify with that yeah. as who we are. But Michael yeah. Singer correctly identifies that voice in the head as the annoying roommate. Just keep that <laughs> phrase in mind. That's exactly what it is. And we can do far more growth when we come to acknowledge that little ego voice is some little carnival huckster, uh, you know, an impish teenager mm. trying to uh, kind of divert us away from the truth. But the truth does lie within as you realize that your consciousness is not created between your ears and your brain, but actually is just filtered in there, but originates in a much uh, kind of higher plane. And that's what we're all about is trying to connect uh, with that higher sense of self that's not ego-bound at all, but far more liberated and has tremendous power to manifest its free will aligned more with our kind of successes, happiness, love, and joy in life. I've been having some wonderful conversations with Katrina at Gerard House, which is a, a wonderful uh, center where people have lost a child. And Katrina's just been absolutely... Wonderful, Evan. Just, so we've been having a discussion. I'm starting these writing groups. Where I'm writing Michael's book, which is our tentative title is going to be Presence with Michael. And one of our conversations, which I wanted to ask you, is that sometimes what I've noticed in the grieving process, I'm a, I'm a beginner, but there's a sense that part of the grieving for some people is they have lost this person forever. They'll never see them again. So it's like a pain on a pain. And I've been talking to Katrina about a spiritual or different approach to grieving that allows celebrating and purifying. How do you see that from your work, that the grieving could be a healing and an opening rather than this sort of, a door is shut forever? The door opens in a different way than we're used to, and it becomes this celebrating of this other moment. Because some people, some people have reported it's hard to get out of grieving because it seems like you're... In time, grieving seems like a forever process, whereas if you see it as an awakening, it's sort of you're drawing the person, drawing Michael, beautiful Michael. I want to send my love to you, Leisha and, and uh, um, Sean. I love you guys a lot. I wanted to see if you could comment on bringing this consciousness or this awareness, maybe a different approach to grieving, which I'm doing with these, we're calling the writing groups Awakened Imagination, and I'm inviting people to be part of that, to also fund this whole process with the book and the groups love to get your takes on a different approach to grieving. And I'd love you to comment, Evan, about how since over this last 10 years, if I had met you 12 years ago, 15 years ago, before you're passing away, how is the new Evan, I guess, has a different mind, sees things differently, experiences love differently. And, how would you, and what would you say about bringing this to grieving in a new way? Well, I think, uh, you know, th to me, I started giving talks about my, my near-death experience two and a half years before Proof of Heaven came out. I would make DVDs and pass them around. So I had actually a, quite a large audience of people who I'd spoken to, mainly in churches, uh, mm -hmm. about my experience. And I started hearing back from audience members uh, in great numbers that the greatest gift their loved one had ever given them was some form of proof of the reality of their ongoing connection, even beyond bodily death. And that was uh, uh, something, I, a story I heard over and over and over again. Now, of course, it takes time uh, 
People don't just go from losing a loved one to this kind of stage of enlightenment. But the thing that was so uh, impressive to me was how transformative that deeper understanding of the loss of a loved one, especially, say, after an after-death communication or deathbed vision or something like that, some other form of communication, that when they happen, they convince you forever of the ongoing relationship with a loved one that does not die with the physical body. And it's a process of growth. And uh, uh, from my perspective, of uh, this is what all of us are challenged with today, is growing into a deeper and richer understanding of the true nature of our existence. And one of the greatest catalysts that allows that transformation to happen is the loss of a loved one and then what happens after that in terms of how they manifest their ongoing presence in in a dream or uh, in a spontaneous epiphany while wide awake or what have you. But they often show us in very certain terms that they're still there. Now, of course, the doubting little skeptic out there will say, well, that's your wishful thinking, your imagination. And yet there are hundreds of stories out there of people getting very useful, important, real-world, in-the-now information from their loved one who has left the physical plane. An example uh, would be a book written by a a friend and colleague of ours, uh, Dr. Larry Burke. Uh, He's a radiologist who trained down at Duke. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, But he wrote a book about premonitory dreams in breast cancer patients, and a number of those were loved ones who had left the physical world and came to the person in a dream and advised them that they needed to get medical attention. And when they got the medical attention, a mammogram or an exam by a doctor, what they found was they had a very early breast cancer that was very treatable because of the premonitory dream. That is just a concrete example of very real-world power of opening up to our connection with loved ones who have left the physical plane. And the more we can learn... Uh, as a society, about the reality of these ongoing connections, the more we will be greatly protected from our worst instincts moving forward through the um, uh, mindless, bleak, and paltry fiction of materialist science trying to pretend that it has anything to say about life after death and the nature of consciousness. Because materialist science, pretty much by definition, does not. All it does... Um, the extreme proponents just come up uh, saying, you know, consciousness is an illusion. It's all chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain. We don't even have free will. I mean, their contribution to this is negligible. In fact, it's damaging. That's why the world is in such trouble is that false sense of separation and that sense of kind of irresponsibility for one's actions, you know, corporate greed and that kind of thing, uh, you know, pollution, all the... Uh, addiction to fossil fuels, every bit of that is a a downside of the false sense of separation that comes from materialist scientific thinking. The more unified, quantum-informed science of consciousness is one that points out the one mind with which we are all kind of uh, interacting and dealing. And just as in the ears can tell you over thousands of years from all belief systems and continents, Ultimately, we are bound together through forces of love and compassion and kindness at the deepest levels of reality. And the more we can bring that knowing from the NDE community and from the science of consciousness studies into this world, the better a world we will have. So it's high time for this awakening, this revolution uh, in our modern thinking and in our society showing that we are all truly in this together, that we really need to take care of the least, the last, and the lost, and that the greatest gift that we can give ourselves and love ourselves in light of this connection with the universe is to love others and help others. And, of course, this has been a long-lasting lesson from many religious systems, but it's time to really clean it up in light of all the overwhelming evidence from the near-death experience community and from the scientific community that studies consciousness to acknowledge this deep sense of interconnection and of oneness and that uh, we are truly bound together by love. And that is the prominent lesson that somehow our religious systems have not necessarily effectively conveyed to the world at large. And the difference this time 
is the scientific community is actually leading the charge. When you realize that, you know, the materialist scientists who are completely unaware of the uh, literature on consciousness and afterlife and reincarnation Mm -hmm. don't have anything to contribute to this discussion. Once they start studying the literature, of course, they kind of wake up to this. They realize the materialist model is dead. It died decades ago with the advent of quantum physics, and yet uh, this world has been very slow to pick up on it. Good news is that any sentient being listening to this uh, podcast will understand that they have the power and the knowledge to run with this now. They don't have to wait for the scientific community to catch up. Listening to Beyond the Formula, I'm Glenn Brooks. I'm Glenn Brooks. This is in dedication to my beautiful son, my uh, handsome, amazing son, Michael Brooks, who transitioned July 20th. I feel Michael's deep love and presence every moment. And I'm, I'm on a learning journey. I'm on a unlearning journey. I had the honor of meeting Dr. Eben Alexander uh, about four weeks ago. And his words and, and his sharing that Michael brought us together for this meeting to open things to another level is touched my being and my heart. I want to share this with you. You could reach me, by the way, at Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, Glenn.VibrantLiving at gmail.com. That's Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, dot vibrantliving at gmail.com. All the updates about our summit, about ongoing things, including Vibrant Dogs, which is in dedication to Michael, is will be on the Vibrant Living Network, vibrantlivingnetwork.com. So what is it like since this happened and you've had this experience of this radical, wonderful, spontaneous healing, do you sometimes when you see pictures of yourself in the past or people talk about you as this amazing surgeon, like, like how do you relate to in context all the other things and beliefs that you had as a human being, whereas now you're, you're living and experiencing this other place, this doorway to the infinite as an experience that you didn't have a good, a, a majority of your life. So what is it when you get up in the morning, do you, do you have a, a sense of gratitude and wonder is this, is, is, is the spring in your stuff different? I know you got, you got this beautiful partner that's doing this wonderful work with you. What would you say to people about the conversation of how we partner with the infinite to create reality or design reality? How has that changed in your life about how we actually have things begin to unfold because we focus on them. We're grateful for them. How has that shifted from you as kind of a, a, a kind of a more mechanistic scientist? Well, to me, it's, uh, when I look back on my life, it's all a very even, okay. steady, uh, grace-filled, progress-filled growth towards uh, a deeper knowing of, uh, of my relationship with the universe. That's what anybody's life should be, you know, is I, I think the whole purpose of, of life is to know thyself. And by know thyself, especially the realizations that have come to me uh, through my NDE and in the 12 years of scientific study and meeting thousands of other experiencers uh, is all about uh, kind of a harmonious growth of understanding of oneness with the universe. And I I don't see any kind of hiccups or discrepancies anywhere, even though you Mm -hmm. certainly could not have predicted I'd be where I am now if you went back 20 or 30 years of my life. And yet every bit of the journey makes perfect sense, and that includes the hardships, the challenges. You know, I talk in the book Proof of Heaven of of how, uh, you know, with my family's help, I I stopped drinking alcohol in 1991. Now, alcohol was never an issue at work, but on my nights off, I tended to lean on it a little too heavily, and my family very lovingly helped me get away from alcohol in 1991. Now, when I look back on that, I'm very grateful for having had that challenge in the first place, not just for getting beyond it, but very grateful for the hardship or the difficulty that I had to face up to uh, and then grow through. And the same thing, of course, is true of my meningoencephalitis in 2008. This horrific weakened coma that should have killed me was an absolute gift. Um, All those years spent in neurosurgery, my uh, 15 years at Harvard Medical School teaching Mm -hmm. neurosurgery, uh, yeah. years at other institutions, uh, teaching and studying, researching, uh, practicing neurosurgery, was all an absolute essential gift for me to have the kind of understanding that I had when I went into coma. 
uh, you know, if I'd been a, a truck driver, I could have had the whole experience. My doctors would have told me the dying brain plays all kinds of tricks, and I would have yeah. walked away from it thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as it turns out, you know, my brain was so wiped by this horrific men- meningitis that when I woke up on day seven of coma, I didn't mm-hmm. even recognize my mother, my sisters, my sons at the bedside. My brain was wrecked. And yet, over two months, I had a complete recovery to where my memories and my mental function were actually better than they had been before coma. How does all that happen? Well, it happens when you're open-minded enough to be able to follow a pathway and to learn and to realize, you know, the materialist science that I worshipped before my coma, and I do not use that term lightly, um, Mm -hmm. was an outmoded system, and all the evidence completely debunks it. And I just needed my own personal evidence, and then the scientific evidence followed directly in the decades since then that, of course, I'm on the right pathway of awakening for this world. And the world will wake up to this. The materialist model is dead. Many people haven't read that yet. The science writers Mm -hmm. for New York Times and Scientific American have no clue what's going on, Um, but they're slowly, slowly getting it. For example, Bernardo Kostrup, who's a big proponent of our work and endorser of of Living in Mind for Universe, Mm -hmm. wrote a series of essays in Scientific American of supporting the reality of objective idealism, the metaphysical position that the mental layer of the universe has primary control on everything that unfolds in our uh, awareness. And he sneaked these things into Scientific American because they didn't realize what he was doing, but he was building a beautiful case for the reality of a deeply, profoundly proven metaphysical system of reality where free will of human beings has tremendous power to shape the universe. So contrary to materialist scientists who would try and tell you that you have no free will, uh, these models that we talk about in Living in a Mindful Universe that Bernardo Kastrup talks about, you can learn more of his work at BernardoCastrup with a K uh, dot com. But anyway, uh, it's about paying attention to the bigger evidence of human experience and then taking that uh, in a kind of a scientifically and philosophically rigorous system into a deeper understanding and modification of our worldview to more reflect the nature of reality. And it's a very refreshing nature that we uncover indeed. And this, I think it's that the scientific community is ultimately going to be pushing this agenda uh, because the facts, you know, science has many self-corrective mechanisms and it does not have to be completely beholden to, you know, the scientific method in the material world and that's all it can prove. Uh, there's much more to kind of a scientific and philosophical approach to reality uh, that takes us much deeper. And that's where I believe this revolution is going to actually finally stick because this is really what humanity was supposed to learn over the last five to 10,000 years, and yet we've somehow mm-hmm. failed in our mission about this oneness, about this connection, about the sense of responsibility that our choices make a tremendous difference, um, and all the, of that binding force of love. These are deep and profound lessons. And now that the scientific community is actually going to be jumping on board with all this because the evidence inevitably leads us down this pathway, the world will become a much better place. I want to thank you guys uh, for listening. I'm Glenn Brooks for the Vibrant Living Network, our new network, uh, Beyond the Formula, Dr. Edmund Alexander will be with us regularly. we got an upcoming summit. These will be on the website. I also work greatly with one of my, I call him Uncle Norm, Dr. Norm Shealy. We do a series on vibrant longevity. Share with us. Ask us the questions. What can we discover and embody through near-death experiences and by a shift in consciousness, a new listening, and a new investment? Evan, I'm just really blessed to, to share with you. I'm so glad we met by, by divine coordination. And I'm eager for our upcoming conversations. I also want to tell you thank you or send my warmest regards to Elizabeth who's been such a sweetheart to me in your office. Thank you. And I, uh, I'm well, glad for we sure. met. She, she's an angel. Yes. No yes very it. much so. <laughs> very much so. And thank you for your love and openness to trusting and reaching out. And I, I, I feel so blessed and honored to be working and discovering and, and learning another lesson of love. And I, I, I'm so happy that I got to share 
this physical world with Michael, Michael Brooks, who was challenged me, loved me, hugged me. Like, no matter what happened in time, we'd always be together, and we are. And I want to thank lovely Alicia and all the other people. Thank you, guys. Evan, from my heart to your heart, thank you so much for being with us today on Beyond the Fire. All right, Glenn, thanks so much, and uh, yeah. best to you and uh, to your audience. Glad you're Thank pulling you, everybody together on this uh, beautiful. Uh, Thank you. You made uh, a big, kind of you're making of a big difference. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Eli's precious. Enjoy it. <laughs>